Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. My name's Conan Darcy and this week is the latest in our regular series of conversations with the leading thinkers and decision makers on tech policy globally. And I'm delighted this week to be joined by Wojciech Vivivorowski. Wojciech has been the European Data Protection Supervisor since 2019, in which role he has been leading the oversight of the data protection practices of the EU institutions, as well as guiding the EU institutions and national authorities on data protection policy. Prior to this, Wojciech was the Polish Data Protection Commissioner, and he served as the Vice Chair of what was then known as the Article 29 Working Party, and which has now evolved to become the European Data Protection Board. So Wojciech, thank you for joining me today. Just to say that it's a real privilege to have you join this podcast, such a prominent individual in European policy on data protection. That's a pleasure for me. Thank you very much. I just wanted to do three basic things in this discussion. And I wanted to start with an evaluation of where you see Europe as a global data protection leader, but then how that contrasts potentially with how Europe applies some of those principles in practice and how it enforces its rules. The second would be to get your views on whether you believe the general data protection regulation, the GDPR, needs to be reformed. And if it does, what should be a priority as part of that reform? Then finally, I'd like to go on to that topic that everyone is talking about endlessly in policy conversations now, which is artificial intelligence and particularly generative AI. And just to get your sense of how does that play into pre-existing debates on data protection and how should we start to think about and respond to those challenges? So if that sounds okay to you, Maybe we can start on that, that first point. And it's something that I noticed when reading into some of your public comments before this podcast, you've talked about quite a lot. And this is that discrepancy potentially between Europe's values on data protection and what it does in practice. So if we take the GDPR as our starting point, it has been in many ways seen as, and indeed member state legislation and other pieces of EU legislation before this, seen as a major piece of pride in Europe that we are leading the way globally. And I think Europe can really make the case that it has led the way globally on data protection and that strong commitment and that right to privacy. But on the other hand, we've seen your institution, the European Data Protection Supervisor, investigate institutions like Frontex, the EU's border agency. You've objected to certain powers given to Europol. You've made public comments a lot this year, actually, about the failure to uphold data protection rights at the EU's border. And this is funny because it's sort of about the rights of how EU legislation is exported almost to its border and externally. But this would be seen quite a lot in contrast, say, for instance, to the lengthy efforts that the Commission has made to ensure that EU citizens' rights are upheld in the United States, for instance, under the Safe Harbour Privacy Shield Data Protection Framework. So that's a very long intro, a very long build-up, but I just wanted to get your sense of a very simple question of, are we at risk of hypocrisy in Europe? over the issue of data protection? First, let me say that I'm proud of the legislation and the approach that Europe took already years ago and which is developing right now. I'm also quite proud of what happened with the GDPR and the influence it had to both the legislation around the globe, but also maybe the most important to the practice of the big controllers, the big tech companies, 
And I'm generally proud of that. The same way as we have with the sportsman who is the best in the world, who wants to be the best in the world, but who is going to train and observe himself and the other participants of the race. So when Europe decided to put the stress on privacy, to put the light on this fundamental right, at the same time had to create the institutions that will look at the European Union and the member states and check the supervise how they deal with it. So that's true that uh, EDPS may look a little bit like uh, somebody who is going around preaching, or oh, you are still not good enough. Uh, you still should uh, change something or improve something. But this is actually what we were created for. We were created to check if the institutions are doing the job well and uh, are fulfilling the obligations they have uh, out of GDPR and out of the special regulation, which is about data protection in the EU institutions. So what might be more important is how the institutions uh, and how the governments as well of the EU react on the critics which appears uh, inside. So the mere existence of the European Data Protection Supervisor is caused by the willingness of the regulator of the legislator to have somebody who is supervising the, the way the institutions do their, their job. Uh, it's true that we are critical. It's true that we always see this uh, tip of the iceberg, uh, which is the bad one. We always see the problems which we try to call challenges because these are the things that the EU has still to work on. So you said there that your role is, is almost to analyze whether the EU institutions member states are doing their job well on data protection. So a very simple question, I guess, would be, I mean, how would you evaluate whether the EU institutions are doing their job well on, on data protection? I think that the work with the institution is quite uh, well done. And I think that uh, the overall uh, picture is the good one. And we can say that the institutions are really involved in the uh, implementation of the data protection and privacy as the fundamental rights, but it's still quite a lot to be done. First of all, there are the answers, there are the questions which were not answered at all so far, and there are the situations where we think the improvement is expected. Sometimes we see the kind of difference between the words we say and the practice on the ground, we point it. And I may say that uh, in 95% of the cases, uh, the reaction of the institutions uh, is uh, welcoming to this kind of commentaries from the EDPS. That's a very good example of Frontex. Frontex, for whom we had quite a strong report after the audit that we did in 2022. And we have to say that from this time, the cooperation with the Frontex management, it's going really well. And most of the recommendations that we created for Frontex have been already implemented. Okay, it's interesting because I was just about to ask you whether the Frontex approach to data protection, the border fell into the 5%, which wasn't being done well, but it sounds to me like they've moved potentially from the 5% moving into where the 95% that you said is, is going well. Yes, but the, the answer is not that easy for the agency like Frontex. Because the role of Frontex 
is actually to harmonize the approach of the 27 countries to their external borders. We have to remember that each of the countries has external border, at least uh, uh, at the airports. Uh, so uh, they, do, they do not decide about everything uh, as far as the processing of the personal data on the borders is uh, concerned, because these are the member states uh, whose borders are in uh, question. So that's, for example, when we do the inspection of the activity of Frontex, we have to do it together with the member states data protection commissioner, because it's usually done not in the headquarter of Frontex, but at the place where the Frontex uh, officers work. So there is no, nothing like one answer to the agency. There's a kind of compilation of the work that we do in all the member states. It'd be great if I could pick up something else, Wojciech, that you said earlier. And you said that you took pride from the fact that the GDPR happened, that it's in force, and I, it's been in force now for five years, and that in being present, in being a piece of law has changed the practices of big tech, I think is how you, you put it earlier. But previously you have said, you've made comments that there is, that allude to this other discrepancy potentially in, in Europe's approach, which is on the one hand, the GDPR is that source of pride. It's seen as a global standard. But on the other, there are many complaints, but the GDPR hasn't been enforced potentially as efficiently and as effectively as many people might have expected. And just to quote you back to yourself, you said, uh, I think it was last year, I myself share views of those who believe we still do not see sufficient enforcement in particular against big tech. I just wanted to uh, ask you a couple of things related to that. Since then, we've had quite a lot of big fines coming out of Ireland in collaboration with the European Data Protection Board, particularly against companies like Meta, multi-million pound uh, fines. So I guess, do you still feel that there is that under-enforcement on big tech. And then more broadly, does that again mean we're at risk of sort of almost lecturing the world on data protection, when at the same time we still have major discrepancies in how our own system is working? Well, if we think about the progress that we made last month uh, by, as you said, millions of euro which are in fines for the big tech companies, uh, well, I would have to ask, where was this money spent? This money was not spent anywhere because this money has not been paid yet. The, we are still talking about the cases which are in progress, which are in court, which, by the way, is not surprising. And uh, I'm not complaining about the fact that the data protection commissioners are sent to the court uh, to get the final interpretation of the law. But uh, what is to be asked and what is more important to be asked uh, is what does it mean for individual persons? Because uh, no matter how high is the fine, that does not solve the problem which complainant had when he complained. I can see the kind of gap in between the decisions which are done by the lead authorities in the big tech cases and the situation of the complainant who started the, the whole action. While in the smaller cases or in the national cases, we can see the connection between the complainant and the final solution. With the big tech, usually we have the solution for the future and the money paid, not yet, but let's say paid in a situation where the fines are done. But at the same time, we have the complainant who have been somehow left 
with the situation that he or she met uh, two, three, five years ago when the whole case started. I interviewed John Edwards, the UK's information commissioner, early this year. And one thing he said sort of rings true in what you're describing here is he, he essentially said he almost felt it was a failure to get to the point where you needed to fine a company because the harm had taken place and you have this long quasi-judicial process through which we go through, whereas he preferred actually to have the rules and guidance as a deterrent and to change rules to stop the harm happening in the first place, which I think is similar to what you're, you're alluding to. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And uh, the, I, I think the problem of the enforcement, uh, which we can see in Europe, uh, is also the length of the process, which, by the way, once again, is not surprising at the beginning of the existence of such a legislation, but which makes a complainant forgetting about the problem he or she had years ago when the final answer is given by the court in the case which uh, which has been uh, done by the Data Protection Commissioner. Um, well, I have to say that uh, years ago, one of the representatives of the big tech uh, somehow summarized that by saying that the definition of hell for him would be the European law with American enforcement. <laughs> well, we, we, we occasionally hear rumors that there will be a, a federal privacy law coming at some point. Indeed, I was talking to someone the other day who was very bullish on the idea that we will see a federal privacy law. Very different, I think, in design to the GDPR, but we shall see. Let's go. We've sort of, we've skirted this now, Wojciech, around the idea of GDPR reform. And there's a lot of things coming together at, at the moment because we have the evaluation of the GDPR uh, due for 2024. We also have a new commission coming up next year with new commissioners who will want to do interesting headline grabbing things. And you can just imagine the scenario. You're the new fundamental rights commissioner coming into the commission and your cabinet, your sort of proto cabinet sits there and, and you say, well, what, what are you going to focus on ahead of my European Parliament hearing? And sort of top of the agenda is a commitment to GDPR 2.0. I mean, you can just see the politics playing out and that's where we're sort of heading. And everyone is sort of anticipating that a little bit in Brussels at the moment. And I just wanted to get your views on what do you think that should include? There is that fundamental question that I think has been put to you a lot of times. A lot of times, actually, we hear it when we speak to businesses in Europe, but also abroad, that there's a mismatch in Europe between the prioritization of digital rights and data protection rights above innovation and competitiveness of European businesses. So before we get into that sort of exact detail about what you want to see in it, I'd just be interested to get your response to that recurring criticism of the GDPR and European data protection rules. Um, I heard this criticism many times, and to be frank, I never heard the exact examples uh, of the uh, things which were stopped by that. There might be many reasons for which some countries of the European Union are more or less inventive and have the business which is more open for the innovations. We may have different reasons uh, for which Europe as the market is still not strong enough to support such an innovation solution. But I don't believe that this is really general data protection regulation which stops this kind of activities. I also don't believe that uh, the discussion about the changes in the general data protection regulation will be started by those who are dealing with the fundamental right. These are rather the persons who want to keep it the way it is. 
I rather would expect those who try to say that Europe is losing its chance with the competition with China, for example, that they will say we have to lose the restrictions which we have in Europe in order to be more competitive. But on the other hand, the solutions with the data security law, which exist in China, are not much more democratic, at least uh, uh, in the meaning of uh, democracy that, uh, that we can uh, find. Also, the competitiveness does not mean the, 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 the same thing. I expect that there will be big tension on the changes. There will be the idea of reinvent or rediscuss the solutions which have been taken in 2016. And once again, I'm not surprised because we are right now already seven years after the introduction of the law and more than 10 years after the beginning of the discussion. So I say to my colleagues, data protection commissioners, Let's be ready for that, because the politicians will go with such an idea, not those that are dealing with fundamental rights, but those that want to have the new opening for the economy and will use, in my opinion, false statement that this is the data protection law which stops the innovation in Europe. And I guess the point then there is that you're arguing it's not a problem with regulation that Europe is potentially less competitive in digital areas than, say, a country like China. It is a problem in industrial strategy. And it's those levers that, are, that large, large countries like China, or indeed the United States through its private sector, those levers they can pull for competitiveness, which is what's giving them the advantage. It's not that it's regulation holding Europe back. Is that yeah, that would be what I say about the innovation problem which exists in Europe. Regulation is definitely not the reason for stopping innovation. There are the, rather the economical reasons to be taken into consideration. Okay, well, let's go into the regulation itself. You have previously called for, and I quote here, a pan-European data protection enforcement model. Now, we have a current proposal that's looking to streamline regulatory cooperation between data protection authorities under the GDPR, the famous debates obviously around what happens with individual data protection authorities with a lot of focus on Ireland. And we are seeing in parallel with the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act, a centralization of digital regulation. So I guess what would I would be interested to understand is, is do you want to see that similar centralization? And does that imply the European Data Protection Board or indeed your own institution, the European Data Protection Supervisor, or amalgamation of the two, becoming a pan-EU data protection regulator? Well, it was uh, this decided at the beginning of the discussion about GDPR that uh, actually probably 95%, 98% of the cases that commissioners dealing with are not even national, they are local. So there is a very small percentage of the cases which are going to the really international field or, or European field, whether Europe is the market that we are talking about. So the initial decision that the data protection authorities shall work on the national level is probably good, and that's something to be kept. And also the idea of one-stop shop works in most of the cases. Most of the cases which land in one-stop shop model are solved without the problems between the authorities and they never reach the level of the European Data Protection Board. 
they are usually involving uh, two, three, maybe four countries of the EU. But there is a group of the cases which are look the same all over Europe. The problem is all European. And probably these are the ones uh, that should not be solved by one chosen data protection commissioner, but by European Data Protection Board as a whole. I don't think that EDPS is the institution that uh, should be the judge of the, or, or even the regulator of the all data protection issues in Europe. But the role of the European Data Protection Board should be much more active uh, and much more decisive uh, than it is at the moment. So it would mirror the situation in the Digital Services Act where most of the regulation is going to happen at a national level, but where, in suppose in DSA terminology, very large online platforms or an equivalent definition in GDPR terms could be directly regulated by the European Data Protection Board. I don't know what should be the threshold. Uh, we have to remember that DSA is about the digital market only, while uh, GDPR is not only about the digital one. So that, that might be the problems which are not connected uh, only with the online platforms or online search machines, but also with the retailers which are existing as the big companies on the other market or the, the I don't know, car producers or whatever, or whomever else. Uh, so I would not look that much on DSA, but I would look for what's going on with uh, anti-money laundering legislation, for example. Yeah. But what we, what we see is that none of this legislation that has been created after GDPR is uh, copying the model which was done by, by GDPR. And once again, this is uh, neither the bad thing for GDPR itself, nor it says about the uh, failure of the system that was created. It's simply kind of assessment of what we did, how it works, how it can work in the future. Once again, I'm not saying that anti-money laundering solutions will work perfectly in the field of data protection. But we should at least watch them. We should assess what pros are given by them, and then we will be able to answer what will be the future of the general data protection regulation and its enforcement. Okay, can I just take us on to another issue, which is less about the enforcement and is more about the policy focus of the GDPR. The European Data Protection Supervisor gave an opinion last year on political advertising where quite clear about calling for restrictions on micro-targeting. There's been a live debate about micro-targeting, not just with regards to political advertising, but to a whole wider range of advertising. And you've seen attempts, particularly in the European Parliament, to try and bring some of this into things like the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, which often potentially weren't quite the right vehicle to try and push these, these policy goals, you could argue. It's a hot topic around the reform of the GDPR. I think there's a big expectation amongst those, say, in advertising industry bodies you would talk to in Brussels that this could be a focus of where the commission goes in a GDPR 2.0. I just wondered if you saw this as something, extending where you've, you've already intervened on political advertising, where you saw this as something that could and should be part of such a revision and something where potentially you can see potential harm to individual citizens from these practices. I would uh, separate a little bit uh, the, the problem of the political advertising because it's, uh, it, it's really a little bit different uh, than the situation of the marketing solutions, marketing uh, 
practices uh, on the commercial market, I see the tension once again against the micro-targeting, which is uh, also presented by many NGOs uh, dealing with privacy. But I'm not that strong in saying that this is conditions in the non of the development for the future. I think that uh, the, the problem is not micro-targeting itself. The problem is reuse of the data for the different purposes than the uh, data was collected. So many people do not uh, think that uh, the, the, the collection of the profiles about them is a wrong thing. They are even happy of the micro-targeting uh, as the activity which is uh, taken towards them. But uh, what we definitely fight against is the reuse of the data for the purposes they were not collected for, especially without transparency for the data subject for the person. Do you think that's something that should already be dealt with under the current framework? Or is there a need to really update the legislation there? Or is that, again, a bit of an enforcement question? I don't think this is the part of the GDPR discussion. That's really the part of the discussion about the market strategies in DMA, maybe part in DSA, but not necessarily that problem of the fundamental right. Okay, well, let's jump on because I want to make sure that we have enough time to talk about artificial intelligence and how that intersects with data protection. And we've obviously seen the growth of new AI systems in Europe, just as Europe is legislating on this. So we had the launch of ChatGPT at the end of November last year, which was about the same time that the council was agreeing its general approach for the trilogue negotiations. So clearly, the way in which the technology was moving was happening in parallel to have the sorts of questions that legislators are having to think about. Before we come on to the more generative AI side of things, an issue you've been very vocal on is around facial recognition in, in public. We've got two basic positions in the negotiations, a starting point in the negotiations. The parliament is taking a position more similar to one I, which you would support, which is a really comprehensive restriction on, on the use of that in public. Not that it wasn't contested in Parliament. There were, were differing views, but the, the outcome that came was along those lines. In the Council, in the member states, you have a position which has restrictions, but is, is a little bit more liberal in allowing the usage of this in certain circumstances. I guess it'd be great to get, to get your, your views on, on that. And also just to understand how important do you think it is that MEPs really hold on and hold fast to the position as a red line on that. Let me say uh, at the beginning that this is not an AI problem. This is not an artificial intelligence problem. It appears in the Artificial Intelligence Act because of the choice of the, of the legislator or actually commission which uh, put it as a subject. But the problem exists not only with the AI solutions, but with facial recognition itself. Of course, in most of the cases at the moment, that's uh, powered by the artificial intelligence. My question is, what is the rule? What is the exemption? And the rule should be the ban for the facial recognition, remote facial recognition, and other biometric recognition in the publicly accessible areas. It doesn't mean that I have something against the technology, because I can see a lot of places where the facial recognition shall be introduced and may be used for the good purposes. The problem are the areas where the people are not supposed, to, are not expecting 
that they are assessed, that they are recognized, and the kind of profiles, profiles are built about them. So the rule should be the ban. We can talk about exceptions, although I would be very, very careful about that. So definitely I'm much closer to the solution proposed by the parliament, but we were going even farther, saying that the facial recognition solutions shall not be used also by the law enforcement authorities. So also they cannot be excluded from the ban that, that, that will exist. Simply, that is a change of the social agreement that we have in the European civilization. We didn't expect and we do not expect to be observed all the time, assessed and compared to unknown uh, databases, unknown uh, templates for us. Just a slightly, it's a slightly different point, and but the, what you've just been saying made me think of it. Last year, we did a big piece of research on regulation of the so-called metaverse, so augmented reality, virtual reality technologies. One thing which came up quite a lot at that point was the idea that if you did have a genuinely consumer-friendly product that was like augmented reality glasses, for example, that became a consumer product that lots of people took up, you would have a situation where, let's say it was as ubiquitous as a smartphone, you would have cameras all over the place, a whole multitude of cameras each and every one of us would have because otherwise the augmented reality technology wouldn't, wouldn't work each time you looked at a, a building or a shop and so on and so forth. Does that sort of proliferation of camera technology as a consumer side also worry you in the same way that this sort of surveillance technology we're talking about does? Somehow, yes, I cannot assess how popular will be the metaverse, uh, how popular will be the augmented reality solutions. I, I would expect some of them already years ago, because you remember Google Glasses, that's the idea of 2010. That was years ago when this, when this uh, idea of entering the supermarket uh, or the mall and uh, getting to know who of your friends from the social me medias uh, are in which shops uh, were already uh, proposed. Yeah? So, uh, yes, the, definitely Metaverse creates uh, the problems the same way as uh, the connected cars do and uh, especially autonomous cars do. As far as the number of the cameras in the city and their, the data collected by them are concerned. I wanted to go back to another point that you made, which was how data is collected or how it's used and then sort of repurposed by companies potentially for, for something else. And I think that was the point you were making with regard to targeting of, of advertising, making sure that I guess the, the basis on which companies legally collect data maintains the same. There are similar arguments I think you have made with regards to large language models and generative AI that potentially the problem that you see is less that the data is being collected, but that it has been collected and reused for something else. Am I understanding your point correctly there? Indeed. Well, I'm always stressing the importance of the purpose for which the data is used. So let's say that's clearly those sorts of practices there are questions, and we've seen the Italian Data Protection Authority and others look at this. But where do you see the consumer or the citizen harm from, from things like large language models or generative AI? Even if, say, ChatGPT has gobbled up my data in its training, I struggle sometimes to understand what harm can come to me as a citizen from that. 
Well, I think that uh, the two kinds of uh, harms uh, shall be first uh, understood by the user of the solutions like that. First of all, large language model is not created in order to answer the questions. It's created in order to keep the conversation. And keeping the conversation means uh, that it will be doing everything to keep you in the system, to keep you giving your uh, data, your, your information to it. And we can see it very well at the moment uh, when we see not only children, also the adults uh, discussing with such uh, entity like ChatGPT or a smaller, but also large language model based uh, solutions. They are talking with him, it, however you will call it, because it's never uh, boring. It's never uh, tired of the discussion. So that starts to be the way to talk with somebody and to give the information about herself or himself uh, without the danger of being thrown out, of being the stop of the discussion. That's because people do not uh, realize uh, that the main role of the large language model is to keep the conversation as long as possible in order to train the solution, to train the entity. The second problem is that this data is anyway correct somewhere. Yeah? If a young person discusses with such a chat in its game, and it's normal situation at the moment, the, the generative AI solution, chat solutions are based in the games, he doesn't know where the data will be sold after that. And the profile which is created inside the game includes the actions of the persons, the things the person's bought, and the things the person said about himself or herself. There are very intimate discussions which uh, ChatGPT-like solutions uh, are driving the people in. Going back to the question I asked you beforehand, do you think that's a question that needs to be dealt with in something like the AI Act? Or are we really talking here about GDPR enforcement or such like? I'm not sure if we are talking about the thing which can be solved by the legal act. But definitely it shall be understood when you create the legal solutions because sometimes the answers like the change of the purpose for which the data is used may help in, in solving the problem. So ChatGPT is not a new solution. That's the solution which democratized in 2022. But actually we had a very similar solutions in Watson or Ross already in 2015-16. And the lawyers, by the way, did not make their job having the generative AI solutions based on GPT-3 already in use for three or four years before it started to be democratized. So I would say that the legal acts are not the answers, but that they may help to deal with the, with the question. And once again, uh, not necessarily the AI Act, but the acts that existed already in the European Union law. Okay, well, thanks for that, budget. There's one thing I just wanted to really just wrap up on and conclude on, which is obviously next year we have the European elections, we have the US elections over stateside, we have the UK elections in London, where I'm from. Every time we have this cycle, every five years in, in Brussels, there's always that slight question of, are we well prepared for attempts at manipulation and attempts at to misuse data 
in an election context. And clearly, in the conversation we've just been having about generative AI, it takes on a slightly different complexion. And so I just wanted to get your concluding remarks around that, whether do you see major potential risks here for the European elections next year? Or do you think we're in a decent place having been through previous rounds of this over the last decade? Well, b- before we start to invent how the people may misuse the data during the elections, let's try to look for the things which we already have, both in the law and in the practices, and how they can have the influence on it. In one of the member states, the uh, Minister of Health has used the data from e-health system in order to attack his political opponent. Fortunately, the answer of the government was good, the guy lost the job next day. But it means that it's still not obvious that the data protection rules also exist and also apply in the political context. If you think about the newer scandals, let's say, that happened around the election times, especially the Cambridge Analytica times and the Cambridge Analytica scandal, well, once again, what was the main problem which existed there? That was the use of the data for different purposes than the one it was collected for. And the people will be innovative in the manipulation techniques, and we have to be prepared for that before the election time. Right, well, Wojciech, I just want to say thank you so much for taking us through that. I know we've veered quite widely there between... You know, your own role as, as the supervisor, the things that you are focusing on as a supervisor, all the way through to what works and what doesn't work with GDPR, through to elections, through to AI, through to facial recognition. We've really been through a vast array of items. So just thank you very much for joining us today. And just for those on the line, thank you very much. If you want to hear more about this topic, please obviously go to the EDPS website and find out more information from Wojciech and the team there. And please do also look up the podcast notes or the Global Council website, which is www.global-council.com. Find more information, not only on data protection, AI, and a whole range of other issues where we're following the EU digital policy agenda. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.